Man, that's an old school throwback hymn. I like it. That is Sunday nights in my church growing up, you got to do requests for hymns. And uh, that was one of the two that every week I was like hand all the way up as a kid trying to get them to call me. And they were smart enough not to call on kids all the time because either that or go tell it on the mountain. I, you, know, you know, all the ones that are very like he walks and he talks and there's a mountain you go up. You know, it's very, you know, concrete. I loved those songs. So uh, it was nice. I didn't have to raise my hand to get that one sung tonight. I appreciate it. All right, we are in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and tonight we're in verses 38 through 42, this short story about Mary and Martha that a lot of you uh, have heard before, uh, and I just kind of want to talk about it and think about um, how it might apply to us uh, today. And, and so let's read it, and then we'll, we'll spend a couple minutes talking about how not to interpret this before we interpret it a little bit, all right? Uh, we do that a lot here, but uh, Luke 10, 38 through 42, once again, it says, now as they went on their way, He entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So we have the story of Jesus in someone's house. Uh, two sisters, one sitting at Jesus' feet. One is working uh, kind of frantically, is getting frustrated that they're not uh, being helped. Uh, none of you have ever been in that situation. Imagine that might happen. And, uh, and they want the Lord to confront her about it. And Jesus uh, doesn't go the way they would uh, want uh, him to go in this situation. And this little story has got a very long history in the church. We've, uh, I think most of you have probably heard it before. It's a long history um, of what I would say are probably overly simplistic and sometimes even, dare I say, sexist interpretations uh, of this text. Um, I have heard this text preach in such a way to indicate, one of the sermons I heard one time was to indicate um, the truth that all women are supposed to just sit and be quiet, which is one way of looking at it, not the right way, but it is a way of looking at it. Uh, The the interesting thing was a person who uh, preached that also believed uh, that it was a woman's woman's job to do all the chores in the home, which makes interpreting this a little bit difficult because the one woman is doing chores and the one is sitting quietly and they're both somehow the ideal woman, so how how do you choose, right? So not a great interpretation, but I've heard it before. I've also heard interpretations that kind of talk about getting rid of, uh, of like all the stuff that we do, right? I've heard interpretations that essentially boil down to saying you can do things or you can kind of quietly have faith and that those are somehow opposing of each other, right? But again, uh, that's a little overly simplistic. There, there may be a, a grain of truth to some of that, but it would be a kind of a tough interpretation considering Jesus is constantly doing things and constantly asking us to do things, right? It would be tough to use this text as an argument, uh, considering all the rest of Jesus' teaching, that we're supposed to have some kind of monastic life of solitude and silence. Um, as much, as nice as that sounds to all of us parents in the room, that's probably not what this text is about. I, I think this is one of those stories. A ton, not a ton of information given. So we need to remember what we do know and what we do not know, based on what the text actually says. We like to bring extra things to it. Here's some things we know and don't know. Um, We know that this is actually Martha's home, right? She is hosting. So it's Martha's home. She has welcomed them all in. Uh, Without her hospitality, this uh, opportunity for Jesus to 
sure to people uh, would not be happening at all. We run up, no, I got full batteries. All right. Um, so without, without Martha hosting people and without Martha um, doing what she has done, none of this would happen, right? You can feel a little bit of sympathy for, for Martha here who's uh, done all this work. So we know that it's her home. She know, we know that they have welcomed, welcomed, she's welcomed everyone in. We also know that Martha considers Jesus to be an authority, right? A teacher, a rabbi. Uh, she hosts this opportunity for him to teach and lead, which is a, a way of honoring Jesus. And more important, maybe, or more to the point, you know that she thinks Jesus is uh, an authority because she totally rats her sister out to him. And again, any of you who have kids know how this works. Um, it happens all the time with kids. It happens all the time everywhere, actually, where um, I don't actually uh, want to confront that person myself, so um, let me go find an authority figure to do it for me, right? And so she rats out her sister to him. And when, based on the reading here, it's very likely she literally interrupts his teaching in order to bring this up, which is, a, is, the, is the, the scene I like to picture, which is her kind of interrupting Jesus, everyone sitting there, including her sister, and her looking at Jesus saying, hey, um, will you tell my sister, doesn't even call her by name anymore, she's too mad to call her by name, my sister, you know, will you tell her to work with me, kind of to try and shame her in front of everyone, right? So she doesn't address her sister directly, she interrupts Jesus' teaching. Uh, this is strong sibling vibes going on here, right? So we know those two things. We know that Martha considers Jesus uh, an authority. We know that it's Martha's home and she's the one hosting and setting this whole thing up. We don't know what exactly she is working on at the time, right? We don't know if it's uh, necessary, quote unquote, or unnecessary, if it's just kind of busy work or if it's things that really have to be done if you're gonna be a good hostess of some people. We don't know. The text doesn't really tell us what she's doing. Maybe all the important stuff has already been done, but she's just one of those people that can't turn it off, right? Or maybe there's still really important things to be done if everyone's going to eat or everyone's going to do something that comes next. We don't really know. Uh, so we don't really get to interpret based on that. We don't know what exactly she is doing. And there is one other thing that we do know from this text for sure. This is what I want to go with tonight. We know that Jesus judged what she was doing was making her both, and in the NRSV, which is what we read today, the New Revised Standard Version, both, quote, worried and distracted. Worried and distracted. So we don't know what she was doing, but we know what it was producing within her, right? Worried and distracted is what the NRSV says. I'll be honest with you, as I looked at the Greek, and I'm not a, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I looked through the Greek in this because it kind of wasn't making some sense to me as I was reading it this week. I'm going to tell you, I actually prefer some other versions. I, I prefer the New King James Version, which I don't say a ton. There's not a whole lot of times I go to the New King James Version. I kind of like what they do in their translation a little better because it seems to me to hold a little closer to the original Greek. And um, the NRSV kind of repeats the word distracted, even though it's not the same word twice. And I don't think it fully communicates. So let me, and I should have put this on a slide, but you'll just have to listen uh, to me say it. Here's, here's how NK, the NKJV says. Verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted, and that word is distracted. All translations kind of give distracted there. And it says, distracted with much serving. The NRSV leaves that whole part out. And that serving word there in Greek is actually a feminine version of the word that we usually translate as deacon, as a deacon in a church, right? So it's, she's basically female deaconing uh, is, is kind of what you would see in the original Greek there. And that's kind of left out altogether. It says, she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Again, that serve word is there. Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered to her, Martha, Martha, 
You are worried is the first uh, word that he translates there, and it's merimnao is the verb there. Another translation for that, another uh, synonym for that is anxious. So you are worried or you are anxious and troubled. Uh, Turbadzo is the, is the uh, Greek there, and I'm murdering that pronunciation, I'm sure. Which means troubled or, in my, and the word I like even better, and I'm kind of upset that none of the translations are using this. Maybe they think it's too fancy of a word. Disquieted. Right? About many things. You are worried or you are anxious. You are troubled or disquieted by many things. So what we know is that Jesus believes, whatever it is she's doing, however important or unimportant it might be, what it is producing in Martha is a sense of distraction and worry and disquieted nature, right? She's worried and she's troubled. She's anxious and disquieted. And I like those words better. They paint a little more vivid picture for me of what's going on here. And that seems to me what this text is mostly about. I don't think it's about whether or not we are engaging in activities and when is the line of what's too much and not enough and all those kind of things. I don't think it's about activities at all, per se. It is more about what is being produced by the things that we are engaging in our lives. What are the results of the things that we're spending our time on? I don't think it's about the fact that Martha was maybe washing the dishes instead of cooking the meals, or whether her heart was in the right place when she was doing these things. What Martha was participating in was unnecessarily, according to Jesus, unnecessarily making her anxious and disquieted, worried, to the point that even seeing her sister at peace and unworried made her mad. Ever been there? You're frustrated, you're anxious, you can't settle down and you see the person who seems totally cool with the world and instead of being like, how great for them, you're like, what a jerk. Why don't they? Suddenly for for Martha, it is a bad thing that her sister is unworried and, and sitting there peacefully. Suddenly for Martha, what was bad was good, and what was good was bad. She was anxious, and her sister was not. And so the answer to that is, my sister needs to feel terrible like me. Make it right. right? And of course, Jesus didn't want that for either of them. And we can assume he still doesn't want that for us. Which leads us to the question that we'll focus on tonight for the next couple of minutes. What unnecessary parts of your life distract you by making you anxious and disquieted? What unnecessary parts of your life distract you by making you anxious and disquieted? And I think the important term here is unnecessary, right? The things that Christ addresses in Martha's case are choices that she's making. It's not something she has no choice in. It's something she is choosing to do, right? And understand, we all understand, I hope we all understand, that often what distracts us, often what's, what's, what makes us anxious and what makes us worried is not chosen. It's not something we have a choice over. It's something that is thrust upon us that we can't control. Absolutely that happens to all of us all the time, right? The diagnosis you never wanted, the loss you prayed would never come, just the thoroughly insane world we find ourselves in some days. This is not choices we've made, it's just a reality we must deal with. It's not under our jurisdiction, we don't get to control those things, we just have to learn how to live within them. But, let's be honest and admit that much of what distracts and makes us anxious and disquieted is our choice. We choose it. We complain about it. We hate it. And we choose it. Doesn't make sense. It's just what we do, right? I remember years ago I was watching uh, college football commentators 
talk about uh, this report that had come out on a coach who had compl- been complaining about the culture on his team. He, he, was, uh, ra- he was, went to the newspaper and, went and was talking about the culture on his team, and he was complaining about the culture. And there was a guy that a lot of you who are my age would know named Lou Holtz, who used to be a coach at uh, um, Notre Dame, and he was a commentator at the time, and he is uh, idiosyncratic, to say the least. He is, a, he is an odd dude. Uh, and I honestly didn't really like him that much as a commentator, but he sometimes said some really funny and poignant things. And so here they are talking about this coach who's complaining about the culture of the team that he's coaching. And they're talking about the merits of it or not, and they look to Lou and they say, Lou, what do you think? And he said, I think that's as stupid as someone complaining about all the sex and violence on their VCR. Now, some of you don't know what a VCR is. I understand that. It's like a... It's like an Apple TV, but worse, that it flashed 12 all the time. Right? The point being, though, what he was saying is, I don't think the coach gets to complain about something that he's controlling. Right? You don't get to complain about the contents of what's on your VCR. You don't get to complain about something you don't have to watch. Just change the channel. Just change the tape. And this is something, honestly, not because of Lou Holtz. He didn't give me some, you know, huge spiritual insight of the moment that I've been trying to follow ever since. But I've been trying to work on this for a couple years because I really came to this realization about three years ago, especially when politics got going the way they have in our country, right? And I still try to be informed, right? I try to read various news sources from different kind of perspectives and be relatively informed about the world. I really do try to do that. Not entirely effectively, but I try to. But I also got rid of a lot of things. I couldn't tell you the last time I watched a cable news show from any perspective. And I used to watch those a lot. I can't tell you the last time I, I read a partisan blog or went through the threads underneath a post or whatever about some kind of hyper-partisan political issue. Um, I also, and I don't think it's anyone in this room, if so, you'll never know, uh, I completely hid everyone who was yelling about politics on my social media feed. I just hid you. I didn't defriend you because I didn't want to make you feel bad, uh, but I hid you. I have no idea what you're posting, and my life's better. I hid all that stuff on social media. Um, and I did it because it was something I was choosing that was producing distraction, anxiety, and disquiet. I was complaining about what was on my own VCR. Um, I want to, and I'm trying to still find ways, it's getting harder and harder in the world we have, to refuse to give my attention uh, and money to people or to um, for-profit companies who make their living by scaring me or angering me. Right? And this is a good question to ask. This is a good test to have. Whatever you're spending your time reading or watching or whatever, think about, okay, that person that's behind that news deck or, or desk or that person that's writing this on this blog or whatever, would they go out of business if they didn't keep me scared or angry? And if the answer is yes, go ahead and mute it. Right? It's not a good, that's not a good incentive structure for what's going to be produced and what you're going to be putting in to your own mind and heart all the time. Right? It's exactly the kind of abusive relationships you shouldn't be a part of. I would read this. I would watch that. I would stupidly reply to someone else's post, and then two hours would be gone, and all it would be is angrier and less peaceful than before, and literally nothing was solved, ever. I have never changed a person's mind on social media. 
And I'd like to consider myself somewhat good at it. Like I felt like I was doing something, but I never was. Right? All, I, all that was happening was I was feeling more anxious. Um, I was you know, starting to feel the, anxious, uh, the ulcers form, which is anxiety. Two hours would disappear. There's my distraction. And I would just end up with this overall feeling of everything in the world being a little bit worse and bad and irredeemable, right? Never settled, never peaceful, disquiet. It was all done in the name of something good. I don't want to be ignorant. I want to be understanding of the world as a pastor who's trying to connect Scripture and the world today. I want to be an engaged and informed citizen. I want to change minds for people who aren't as enlightened as me. All noble causes, right? But those weren't the actual fruits of this activity. What came from this activity every time were distraction, anxiety, disquiet. That's what I received from it. There came a time for a while for me where I would, I would have spouted off the adage that I now hate. And that adage is, if you aren't angry, you aren't paying attention, which sounds, really makes you sound like a noble crusader in this world. Never mind how destructive, unfaithful, and needless that posture is, right? Who wants to live in a reality where every choice is anger? That is the worst multiple choice test on the planet. Why do any of us agree to take it? And then there was that one time when I wouldn't specifically endorse a political candidate, which I don't do as a pastor because we lead a variety of people here. And a, a guy I knew from college who I was friends with, I thought, uh, called me a demon-possessed murderer uh, online and just for simply not endorsing the person you wanted me to. And that was kind of that time where I went, you know, maybe I'm done with this. I'm not perfect, but demon-possessed murderer feels like a bit of a stretch for not endorsing the political candidate you like, Right? I don't know. It just felt like there was no good ending to it. It felt like these railroad tracks ended into the side of a mountain with a tunnel painted on it like a wily coyote kind of trick or something, right? Why? Why spend my time on that? Why busy myself with those things? So that's one of the big things for me. I'm not sure what it is for you. What has you distracted, anxious, and disquieted that it's time to let go of? That relationship that posture, that habit, that activity that keeps you from peace. Now keep in mind, it doesn't always have to be something inherently bad. It doesn't have to be an addiction or something kind of overtly destructive like that. Martha is serving, right? She is deaconing in that moment. These are good things. She's showing hospitality to God. She's acting as a deacon to Jesus and Jesus' friends. But something about the nature of this good thing or her posture towards this good thing is causing her to miss the best thing. She is so busy hosting Jesus that she misses Jesus. She gets so distracted, so anxious, so disquieted that she gives demands to Christ instead of listening to him. This is something we should always be aware of, right? It's why one of the reasons why we as a church have committed ourselves to the idea of simplicity. It's one of our core values is simplicity. And we've committed ourselves to that with varying degrees of success. But we have said we don't want to spend so much time programming for God that we miss God. And trust me, that is very, very easy to do. I've been doing this kind of work for a long time now. I'm, I'm a veteran, I guess. I don't want to think about how many years. And I have literally been a part of planning thousands of worship services. And I've been a part of 
many, many of those planning sessions where if someone had come in from the outside having no context, they would have no idea it had anything to do with God or worship or any of that kind of thing. They would have thought maybe we were just putting on a play or something because it really had nothing to do with experiencing God. We are planning for Jesus, just not experiencing him, right? Ultimately, everything we do here should not just be setting the table for each other to meet the God of love. It should be about having the meal all together at the table. The lesson I don't think from this story is for us to go sit quietly on a mountaintop for all of time. Although I would like to start a GoFundMe to do that for a couple weeks if anyone would like to contribute because it sounds kind of awesome. That's not it. We are called to live an active life of love. Christ was on mission and so are we. We are called to spend ourselves for love and for the good of our neighbor. But we need to always remain careful about what it is we're spending our precious time on. The time we don't get back. Life is already full of distraction and anxiety and disquiet. That is not our choice. When we can choose, why would we choose more of it? There's no reason why we can't do better. There's no reason why we can't let it go. In fact, I could argue that Martha did. If you skip over to the Gospel of John in chapter 11, uh, when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus, who's called a friend of Jesus, died because he was sick and Jesus didn't show up in time to heal him, both of the distraught, anxious, and disquieted sisters questioned Jesus when he came to town. At separate occasions, both of them questioned why Jesus was so late. Both of them said, quote, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Totally understandable for uh, anxious and disquieted sisters who just lost someone who they know Jesus could have healed. Both of them are questioning why Jesus let this happen. But only Martha added the next sentence to that. If you had been here, my brother would not have died, but then Martha added to it, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask for. To my reading, that means Martha had a faith and a peace that surpassed her awful circumstances. That shows some growth to me in Martha's life. That not only did she not run around adding to her disquiet, but she found peace in the midst of what she had not chosen. There was hope for Martha, and there is hope for us. For those of us who are so distracted by that which makes us anxious and disquiet, which we don't need to choose. There is another better part, which Jesus says will not be taken from us. May we have the courage and the clarity to take it. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are um, thankful Thankful that you are a God of hope and a God of peace and a God of grace. We are thankful that you are not a God who seeks and sows uh, anxiety and disquiet in our lives. That you are a respite from those things. And Lord, we confess that even though there is so much of it in our world that we can't choose, so often we choose to spend our times on things that produce distraction, anxiety, and disquiet. God, forgive us for wasting the precious time we have on those things that don't matter and only hurt us. God, help us to see those things for what they are, 
Give us the courage to say no to them. And God, may we instead spend our time and our energy on that which brings peace and love and grace into our lives and then consequently into this world. God, may we not be agents of this world's anxiety and disquiet, but may we we be makers of your peace. Lord, we do love you. Uh, We are grateful for you, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.